we're all waiting around for him, right? And he's coming from Arizona, and 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 he shows up at my house, high as a kite, holding a harpoon gun. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Bad Times Good Stories Podcast. My name is Joe Flanders. I hope you are having a lovely day, a lovely start to the summer. Hope it's going well. Hope you're having a fun time. Uh, I'm doing okay. I'm still a little groggy because I had an outpatient medical procedure yesterday. Uh, what does that mean? It means that, uh, I think I mentioned it on the show, I am missing 90% of my large intestine. I mean, I know where it is. It's not like it's just gone. Uh, I had it removed to prevent colon cancer. So uh, because of that, I have to have a checkup every, every couple of years. So uh, that's what I got to do yesterday. I got to clean my body out, give myself some enemas. It was a lot of fun. Coming in hot, I know. Probably weren't ready for enema talk, but uh, yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah, it's really just my favorite day of the year where I go to the hospital and then the nurse says, would you like to do the enema or the IV first? I've tried both options and I've found the enema is better to do first and then the IV because then, you know, trying to give yourself an enema and then also having an IV stuck in your arm, there's a lot to it. Anyway... Uh, so far it looks like the, the results are positive. I'm okay, but it's been, uh, I'm still a little groggy. So <laughs> with that, couldn't have, couldn't have asked uh, for a better introduction for today's guest, Zane Helberg. He is a very talented comedian and, uh, he's doing something that I've never heard of before. He is, uh, you know, he is in recovery for, drugs and alcohol. Um, he definitely had a wild ride earlier in his life, but he's kind of come out the other side of that. And um, he's using his stand-up abilities to help other people who are currently going through um, the rehab process. He performs stand-up at uh, drug clinics, treatment centers, and it's a really cool thing that he's doing. So, um, I really enjoyed talking with him about that and sort of his bigger aspirations for it. And uh, I'm hoping that um, I can actually film a documentary about all the cool stuff he's doing. So we talk about that. We also talk about some of the crazier things he did while he was still on drugs, uh, including building a um, skate park in his apartment and uh, quite slightly less exciting, but also very interesting. He was a door-to-door meat salesman, so we talk all about that. I really enjoyed this conversation. Zane's a great guy. It was really great to, to meet him, and uh, like I said, hopefully we'll, we'll, do, we'll collaborate on some stuff in the future. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you do, give us that five stars. Thank you to the two people who have done it since last week. We're up to 61 five-star reviews, so what do you say? Maybe next week we'll be at 65? How about that? Four people. That's all we need. Four of you listeners to give us that five stars on iTunes. Uh, you can email me at badtimesgoodstoriespodcast at gmail.com. You can visit badtimesgoodstoriespod.com for past episodes, merch, and a link to the Patreon page if you'd like to support me and, and like what I'm doing here on the show. 
And that's all I've got. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Zane Helberg. So how's your day going? My day's going very good. Uh, been up uh, a little, er- got up a little early and drove down to Huntington Beach to do a, a, a stand-up show at Coastline Behavioral Health. Right. Yeah. You were telling me, uh, yeah, I can dive right into it. So you are a stand-up, um, but you kind of have found a niche audience uh, that works for you. I don't, it sounds very interesting. So Yeah. Uh, a couple years ago in January, I guess, of... What was that 2017? I uh, I started a program called Laugh to Live, and where I started bringing um, stand up comedy shows into drug treatment facilities, hospitals, inpatient rehabs, and it started at the Encino Hospital at a little detox called the Serenity um, Serenity Treatment Center, mm-hmm. and they're since shut down. But uh, it grew um, it grew from doing one show a week there in their rec room of the in the hospital of the detox to um, we were doing uh, we were doing up to twenty five shows a month in August and September of last year, and yeah, we've gone everywhere from San Diego up through San Francisco into South Lake Tahoe. I've done dozens of different facilities, um, you know, some underprivileged facilities that don't pay, some facilities that can pay. And um, and yeah, it's just it's been a really cool way for me to break out of um, the restaurant business and into uh, into stand up full time um, a couple years ago. And so, um, yeah, yeah, now we're uh, we've kind of broken off uh, from doing from doing like the main focus being doing stand up in the rehabs. And now I, now I tour around and, um, invite rehabs out to theater shows. Oh, to like come to the show. Yeah. To come to the show. So instead of going to one rehab and hitting one at a time, I, I pick a venue and event space and, and get everyone from all the rehabs and all the recovery community in out to, uh, out to the show. And it's, it's been awesome. It's been a really cool, uh, really weird um niche yeah in stand-up because they're really tough crowds a lot of times a lot of times you get people who have heard detoxing off heroin or or <laughs> xanax and they're sitting there just pissed off and you know getting those people to laugh is um it's sometimes easier than you think but a lot of times it's very difficult yeah um but when you do you get to you get to break these people open and and show them they can actually have a good time without putting drugs and alcohol in their body yeah um it's awesome there's nothing better than it honestly i could do this for the rest of my life it's incredible wow and yeah i mean i would imagine if you can break somebody coming down from heroin you can probably play any club in the country i would imagine (laughs) Well, you know, I'd, I'd like to believe that. (laughs) I think so. Um, well, so how did this idea, you know, uh, where did it come from? Where did the idea of playing, uh, you know, first more actual, actually at the treatment centers, uh, before you kind of brought it on a whole tour? Well, you know, I, um, uh, you know, uh, I, uh, I battled with, uh, drug and alcohol addiction for a long time and, I've since gotten over that, but, uh, you know, a few years ago I had gotten to this place where stand up was, was kind of like falling out of the prior being a priority in my life just because I, I, 
uh, needed to pay my bills. Sure. You know, so I was in this place where I was, which is a whole other story, but I was really like depressed and and overweight. I was like 80 pounds heavier oh, than wow. I am right now. Wow. And I was working this job that I hated and stand up was slowly becoming this obscure thing that I had once done. You know, I went from doing stand up every single night for so many years to then it being like four nights a week, three nights a week. And then the this I had reached this period where it was like I was doing it twice a month mm. and I was like no longer I didn't feel like a comedian. And so I, I went and did, I, I had one show in, in January of 2017. I opened for a guy at some strip club in Vegas and I bombed. I was just like, this is, this is just not good. Yeah. This is bad. I need to get back in. And, you know, I, um, I worked a lot with, uh, people, uh, recovering from, uh, drug addiction. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to start, uh, I'm going to do a monthly show and get back into, um, get back into doing stand-up full, full time yeah. with uh, a show. And I'm going to, you know, help myself get booked on on spots around town by doing a monthly show. And so um, the plan was to uh, put a, like, not even a benefit show, but put on a free show for people in who were uh, in drug treatment mm. and bring them out to this. We had this art studio on La Brea and 3rd in Hollywood or, or South Hollywood. And... Um, and we were going to do this show once a month and we uh, set a date for the first one it was in February of, I guess that was 2017. And I got a phone call from a friend of mine who was the director of client services over at the Encino hospital. And he was like, look, man, I can't bring my people out there in detox, right? They're on meds and they're checked into a hospital, but come into the rec room and do a show for us. It'll be awesome. Yeah. And in my head, I'm like, this is going to be the worst shit. <laughs> like, there's no way. Like what? Get out of here. You want me to come to your hospital and stand in your rec room and do jokes for a handful of people who are detoxing off of heroin and have to take their sleep meds at nine 45. Okay. I, I was like, fine. I'll, I'll go do it. Right. Um, because one, I'm like a whore for stage time, sure, and I needed it bad. And two, I guess I, the the friend who introduced me to this guy um, vouched for him. So I was like, you know what, I'm gonna go investigate what this is. And I went. I brought. It was me and like four other guys. I think three or four other guys. And we went over to this hospital on a Friday night, and we put on a show for like between two and four people. Really? Yeah. Okay. Like two people stayed the whole time. The other, other two were like two out of it to even comprehend what was going on. Right. But there was this, uh, older lady and this guy, young guy in his twenties who, um, were so attentive. And this one kid, I'll never forget this kid, but he was big and fat and like hadn't shaved in a while and he was sweaty and like literally was doing heroin 48 hours prior to this Whew. and and kicking, you know, he's kicking. He's in they had this uh, bin of ice creams and so you could just eat free ice creams while you were there. So he's just like sucking down ice cream sandwiches like a fiend and he but he's dancing and he's loving everyone he's loving the whole show mm -hmm. and we're basically doing a private show for this kid yeah and this other woman who kind of was just there sure. paying attention but at the end they both 
this this woman and this man were both so stoked that we were there. They gave us hugs, and this kid was just like, "Oh my god, I never, I never seen anything like this. I never, um, I've never seen like live comedy before." I was like, "He's like, I didn't think I'd ever be able to have fun at all without doing heroin." He's like, "Now I'm here, and I'm like, I'm detoxing, and like." dude, this was awesome. When are you guys going to come back? And he just wouldn't shut the fuck up about it. And right. in this moment, I'm watching him uh, have this moment with himself and us with like, of like, holy shit, I may be able to, I may be able to do this. Yeah. You know, I just saw this thing and I was just like, and it, it tugged my heartstrings, you know? Yeah. I was like, oh God, I gotta, I have to come back. I have to do this again. Mm-hmm. Like, What? Like, I didn't think this was going to work, but it became more than just doing a show. Like we really, um, we really gave this guy like an hour, hour and a half of fun in a place where he thought his life was over. Right. You know, so we went back the next Friday and, uh, had a decent time. And then we back, went back the next Friday and it was tough. And then we went back and we just kept going back and, uh, for two years, it was, you know, a mixed bag. Some days were really rough and they didn't want to listen. And, and you know, there would be some nights where everyone was in their beds and they're like, fuck you. We don't want to even sit in the rec room to listen to you. So we would leave and not do a show. But more than half of the time, it was some of like the most magical experiences you could have because not, a lot of times you're not even... Uh, doing jokes a lot of times you're kind of just facilitating like an uh, a fun argument or right. or you know everyone you're telling stories and the, the clients were telling stories and it was just it became this uproarious um fun 90 minute experience for them some, some crowd work well yeah you're doing like yeah i guess you're doing a version of crowd yeah work. i mean i know you're doing yeah. it's more like crowd control right you yeah. know and you're and if if you're good. You're throwing in jokes along the way mm. and you're just being fun and funny. Yeah. Um, so that's where it started. And from there, I just started picking up the phone and calling people and asking them if it was something that they would be interested in doing. Mm-hmm. And everyone was saying yes. And it was just a matter of, of getting through the red tape at each facility. But every single time I spoke to a program director, um, or, or a clinical director, they were like, when can you come? You know? So I, 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 I went from doing this, wanting to do this one random monthly show, which we did for a while um, in this art studio, to being overwhelmed with work. Yeah. And I was able to quit my my job at the restaurant that I hated. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm, uh, you know, uh, I've lost a bunch of weight and I'm enjoying myself and having a good time and working my ass off. My uh, My income dropped about... 90 percent but 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 your purpose went up yeah yeah so now like now it's just grown to this other thing and um and yeah it all started from this from being in front of this one kid basically this one young man who uh who hadn't who had been doing heroin for years well and it makes sense that you wouldn't have thought that that's a good place to do a show because i've never heard you know when you you're basically, it seems to me, performing for people who are probably at their lowest point. Um, and being able to find... You just don't associate that with laughter or being able to smile or anything. And so to be able to go in and do that... I mean, it makes sense that people... You know, sometimes people would respond well to that mm-hmm. because that's totally not what they're expecting. You know, they didn't think that they were going to have a chance to actually 
laugh or smile or feel connected to somebody else you know it's a pretty cool thing well i mean that's the 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 thing that i've experienced and noticed is that when when you're going through really tough times it's for a lot of people myself included it's really hard to see how fucking funny things are right you know there's a lot of comedy in the tragedy of life yeah and um, and I think that it, I, I don't think that you have to wait years to look back on a terrible story to laugh at it mm-hmm. and you can laugh at it right now. Sure. You know, there's something inherently funny about a, uh, a guy who, who has gotten to the point in his life where he's ended up in a, he, you know, he's from Montana and he's got a, a nice family and he's ended up in Encino, California in a hospital drinking or uh, uh, eating ice cream sandwiches. Right. And that's like as far as he could get in life. It's like no one plans for that. No. And it's fucking hysterical because that's like, like if you're making a plan for life, you're not thinking, you know what, around 26, I'm going to get over my crippling drug addiction. Right. Yeah. (laughs) That's not in anyone's plan at all. But like, you know, the, the fact that they so many people uh, die from it, mm-hmm. from all these drugs and stuff. But like, if you make it out alive, you're a winner. Yeah, you absolutely. know, if you've made, if you make it to the hospital and you're eating ice cream sandwiches and you're uh, and you're and you get to go to sleep in a bed, even if it is a hospital bed, you've won in a right. lot of ways. You know, definitely. So, yeah, I don't know. I think it's. I I just love it. I love it. Well, yeah, I can definitely see why. Um, well, so let's go back a little bit. Um, maybe before you sort of found this way to, you know, f- have a positive from all of your past interactions. So, um, what was, where, uh, where are you, where do you come from? Uh, like where, where was yeah, I born? Where born? Well, I was, uh, uh, I'm originally from Tucson, Arizona. Okay. I was uh-huh. born, I'm 34 now. So I was born in 1984 in Tucson, Arizona. And we moved around, me and my family moved around like six or seven times before the age of five. I, my brother was born in Beaumont, Texas. So we, we lived in a couple places in Tucson. We lived in a couple places in East Texas. We lived in La Jolla and Costa Mesa and Carlsbad, California. And then we finally landed back in Tucson when I was five. And then um, I lived there from five to 18. When I graduated high school, I moved back out to... Uh, I My first place in L.A. was... Um, on 14th and Santa Monica. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And you uh-huh. said you were kind of telling me you, you came back or, you know, you came out to LA with uh, a plan, so to speak. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I am, uh, I, I don't know, dude, I'm a, I'm a gnarly drug addict and alcoholic, like from like to the core. Yeah. You know, that is my, uh, my, baseline is mm-hmm. like i when I, when i started smoking weed i was like oh my god i want to do this every second of every day holy shit um how can i afford to do that so it's i was a drug dealer i would sell weed i'd buy it from my cousin um this you is know, in high school yeah this is high school i had an, an older cousin and I'd, I'd buy weed from him and then just sell weed to smoke for free and make a couple bucks and i just found that and then I was a, a pizza delivery guy, and I was I would roll around and I would uh, sell pizzas and sell weed, and and I was like I thought that was like super cool. Yeah. So when I moved out to California, my immediate plan was that I was going to be a professional drug dealer. 
That was like the number one plan <laughs> that I was moving out to California and my big dream. I was moving out west and I was going to I was going to be the next big drug dealer. And that was going to be the way I broke into the movie industry. Okay, this was so my actual thought, because okay. as a kid, I I had heard that Jay-Z had sold crack mm. and started a uh, a a music label yeah. and became, you know, a multi millionaire yeah. because of his crack sales. So I was like, well, you know, I'm not I'm not exactly from the uh Brooklyn, New York, but you know, I uh I I think I can handle myself and I'm going to I'm going to sell coke because I think that's more like um culturally appropriate for where I was going. I was going to go to Santa Monica College and I thought, you know, crack probably wouldn't go over so well there, no. but I could probably sell some cocaine. Sure. And I was like, I'm going to save up some money and I'm going to I'm going to start a production company. I'm going to finance a, my first feature film. And I like I was one of, I had this such a I was such a dumbass. <laughs> but I I honestly thought like when I was a teenager that life was going to just be easy. <laughs> Me that too. all my plans would just go super smooth <laughs> and I would, you know, be uh, moving trunkfuls of uh, cocaine. And, you know, I, I watched uh, I watched the movie Blow and only paid attention to the first half of it. <laughs> sure. You can say that for any drug movie. Yeah, exactly. I'd watch Goodfellas. I'd be like, oh, this is dope. An hour in. Oh, shit. Let's turn it off. This is getting <laughs> yeah. real sad. Yeah. Oh, the helicopters are showing yeah, up. Yeah, fuck that. <laughs> what an idiot. You know, like you got to you got to quit while you're ahead. So I bought uh, I bought a bunch of cocaine and I'm like, and I had done I had uh, done all the drugs already by that time. You know, I was 19 and I started doing drugs when I was a fucking kid. But uh, I get my first ounce of cocaine and I'm like, this is it. You know, this is my uh, my my uh, my first step into professional drug dealing. Here we go. <laughs> and so, what you the number one rule? I mean, I was following all of the the rappers. I was mirroring mirroring their model, yeah. But I didn't I didn't follow any of the commandments. Oh, you know, such like such, well, the ten crack commandments, J, uh, Biggie's ten crack commandments are that's like your Bible. <laughs> sure. you're, that's your drug dealer Bible, yeah. and uh, you know, it's like uh, don't sell at your house, don't involve your family, don't do any of your own drugs. Like obviously, he's rapping them, and it sounds way cooler coming out of his mouth. But <laughs> like, but I was like, I got this uh, grandma or this uh, ounce of coke. I brought it to my house. <laughs> and I invited all my friends over, and uh, and and uh, all my closest friends, people that were basically my brothers. And I go, all right, guys, we're gonna try this shit to make sh to to. To see how do our due diligence. How, yeah, we're gonna exactly. <laughs> It'd be irresponsible not to try it. Exactly. So uh, as soon as I did it, it was the best coke I'd ever done in my life. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? We'll sell the next one. <laughs> you know, you know, this one's more like a test ounce, and we'll all do it, and we're gonna have a good time. I mean, I've got my friends over here. I want, I want to look cool in front of them. We're oh, gonna sure. just give them all this fucking coke, right? And so. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that was in the fall of 2003. Okay. Um, by uh, mid-winter of 2004, I hadn't stopped doing coke. We did it somewhere between uh, six and eight weeks in a row. Whew. Like a full, I did like a full 50 days in a row I was high mm. on coke. Yeah. Yeah, it was a lot. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, I, and, and we eventually... Um, we eventually started selling it. Oh, that's good. Uh, well, I yeah. I mean, yeah. 
I mean, at some point we had to make money. We're yes, like, I, gonna... some, I think honestly, I like was doing a bunch, and then I was like, we got to get more, and then I was like, wait, we can't really afford it. I was like, okay, well, um, how about I pawn? Uh, how about I pawn some shit, and we'll we'll get another uh, ounce that we got to sell it this time. Mm-hmm. You know, so we we were pretty good about uh, about selling it um, for a while. Yeah. You know, I was carry all of my money, all the money to my name would go in my front pocket. And it was like it was like a couple thousand bucks. And it yeah. was like but used to buy cigarettes and and more cocaine mm. and go to the occasional sushi dinner and uh, and order wine with my fake ID because I thought like that's what drug dealers do. You know, you sure. got to you can't. What kind of drug dealer are you if you're not going to sushi dinners? But I was going to some like bullshit place on Third Street Promenade. <laughs> when I think drug dealers, I think sushi. You, th- you think sushi dinners, right? <laughs> You think raw when you think of drug dealers, you think of raw fish. Always. Yeah. <laughs> I was so dumb. It was the dumbest thing of all time. So um what we uh the 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 kicker was that uh, a couple things happened. Uh around the first month of being really into this whole cocaine binge, mm-hmm. we started to get some like pretty big ideas. Yeah. I don't know. Have you ever done drugs before? Uh, yeah. I've dabbled, I'd say. You dabbled. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, you take one little bump of cocaine and yes. all of a sudden you got these big ideas. You yeah. want to start a business. Whoever, we're now best friends. Mm-hmm. We're now plotting and planning for our future. We're about to be the kings of, of the neighborhood and blah, blah, blah. And then you wake up the next day and... Um, you realize you're an idiot. Yes. And it was the cocaine talking. Yes. You know, and that's very much a cliche trope of doing drugs is that you're going to have these big ideas and the next day you're going to be like, haha, we're morons. That describes like a two week binge I had in New Orleans uh, years ago. <laughs> where I was right. just talking with complete strangers until like five in the morning. And then uh, about grand plans, and then I'd never see them again. And then I'd wake up at noon. And Exactly. Anyway, yes. And it's a fun story that you remember, and you go, yeah. Hi, wasn't that a weird night that we had? Exactly. Well, when you're selling cocaine and doing half of it, that little grand plan, you start to work it out. Yeah. And you, that starts to become a reality. So we're, we're the, the grand plan that we had was that uh, we're standing on my balcony, we're looking out into the alley, and we see this pile of wood. And we're like, you know what, man? We loved skateboarding, me and my, my roommate. And we're like, you know what, man? We would be amazing skate park builders. Skate park builder. Okay. All right. You know, this is what we want to do. We want to build skate parks. You and I, you know, you know, fuck all this mainstream bullshit. Let's just like build a skate park and we'll, we'll start a skate team and everyone's going to come to it because it's going to be the most innovative skate park that anyone has ever seen. Right? So that was night one. By night, whatever, I don't know, at some point a month into this thing, the skate park idea had become a reality and we were building it inside our two bedroom apartment. (laughs) That was the that was the uh, the niche that we that we had found. We're like, yo, you let's take it one step further. Everyone built skate parks, but no one built skate parks inside their homes. And I'm sure you had lofted ceilings and everything. Perfect. Absolutely not. We were living in like a 700 square foot apartment. We didn't even have a dishwasher, but we had built a half pipe inside our kitchen. We were pulling wood, all this plywood in from the alley. And we just started hammering it into our, uh, into the kitchen. Hammer into the kitchen. I'm guessing the landlord didn't live in your building. Oh, no. The <laughs> landlord did not come by the house. Okay. They weren't knocking on our door. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. Not even close. <laughs> and and we were so in it yeah. that like at some point, they turned our power off. 
Like I, we were like full junkies. We were full drug addicts at this point. And, um, and, uh, they turned, uh, our power off. We were living by candlelight. And we're like, these motherfuckers, what the, what the fuck? Yeah. Had no idea. And then we're just, then we're living by candlelight, skating in our skate park, doing a bunch of co. Like John Adams living by candlelight. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Minus the skating in the. Co- yeah, dude. It probably. was, it was, it was fucking nuts, bro. So when you were building the park, was this mainly while, when you were on Coke or when you were also we were on, not? We were high, we the whole time. high the whole time. Okay. Well, yeah, we were up, uh, we'd stay up until, I don't know, the morning. And at some point you'd sleep. Right, you know, sure. it's not meth, you know, like right. if you do meth, you're up for days, right. you know, but on you do enough coke, you start to you start to acclimate to it and you're able to sleep, especially mm-hmm. if you're drinking and smoking weed along the way. Right. So we would we would just be building it, yeah. you know, I mean, obviously we'd we need I'd eat and I, you know, I'd go skateboard outside and go like run uh, whatever I thought errands were, you know, we'd go to the 99 cent store to buy potatoes and, uh, and we were just huge into like, we got this deep fryer. I don't know where we got this deep fryer. You know, when you're, you're young, you know, when you're a kid, like in college age that like, like things just appear in your apartment and you're like, I don't know how the fuck we got that, but we yep. ended up with this deep fryer yep. and we were like, for I don't even know how long, all we would eat was fried potatoes in different <laughs> forms. Fried whole potatoes, fried chips, fried fries, fried half potatoes, wedges. So we were like, like we'd be we'd be deep frying and um, and skating and uh, you know, big thing. My roommate was really like frugal um, mm-hmm. through this whole thing. That's we'd good. go, we, yeah, it was great, great attribute is his frugality. Yeah. He's um he's a. Uh, uh, I'm going to his uh, wedding next year. This guy, he's oh, that's great. yeah, we're all on the straight and narrow now, but. He, uh, it was so funny. He'd get, uh, we'd go to the 99 cent store and we'd buy like a loaf of bread, a pack of bologna, um, uh, potatoes, and maybe some other random things. Yeah. But I, I just remember him being so aggro about the amount of bologna that I would put on these sandwiches. <laughs> he, he, he would allow me one slab a day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'd, yeah. He's like, he's like, what do you think we are rich? He's like, Oh, Mr. Rich boy, putting two slabs of bologna on his sandwich. <laughs> You know, we're, we're, we're in this like veritable sweatshop working on this, on this skate park and eating one slab of bologna a day and a bunch of, uh, whole fried potatoes. Um, yeah. Beacon of health. Yeah. Yeah. So like that was, I don't know. That was just, uh, did you have like rails to grind on and stuff? Well, we had a half pipe in the kitchen. So the kitchen was enclosed, right? So like the kitchen was like, like, let's imagine like a floor plan. The kitchen was like right here and there was a half pipe in it and there was a little doorway out like at the bottom of the half pipe in the middle and it, it led out to a hallway. So we had a little, uh, a little track that you could skate through down the hallway. And then there was a quarter pipe uh, aligned in the guest bedroom. We had pulled everything out of the guest bedroom Mm. and made a quarter pipe into the guest bedroom. So you could essentially, if you were really, really trying, you could drop into the quarter pipe and skate down the hallway and then into the half pipe and then skate the half pipe. And that is that's as far as we got. Well, hey, you know, that's not bad. No, I mean, that's it's pretty not, impressive. I mean, no, we, we hadn't really there wasn't really space for a rail. Sure, um, I wouldn't think so. But we had to, you know, we got um, we got. We got evicted from that place. Yeah, I was going to ask how this how this how this well, ended. Okay, so this ended like this was nuts, and this was like this was like the beginning of me doing drugs too. This wasn't even the end. This was like right. This was I was heating up, but we. Uh, so I'm selling this coke, and I think I'm really cool. And I thought, you know what? It's time to go to the next level. 
I'm not, I'm not, I'm small time. I'm just nickel and dime in these bags of Coke at, at clubs and parties and shit. Yeah. Like I was the type of guy, I was 19. I would, I'd, I put on, uh, on, uh, Italian boots in this, in this, uh, like this light tan suede blazer and i would tuck tuck a button-down shirt into jeans and i would go i would go talk on my cell phone in the front of clubs and act like i was important and like weasel my way into these into hollywood clubs and then i would it's stupid i was so dumb i was an idiot um so i'm like i'm nickel and diamond at these clubs this is bullshit i need to level up and so i thought you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna make a i'm gonna make a deal and i'm gonna start selling to my dealer and I had met this guy who had this different weed and this other guy who had this Coke. And I was putting together this big old uh, three-way transaction. A friend of mine, um, an old, old friend of mine that I grew up with that shall remain nameless. Um, but this guy is the, one of the best. He uh, he was a, a drug dealer in Arizona. And, um, and, oh, man, this guy was nuts. Yeah. Yeah, but I was having him come up to kind of facilitate this deal, and he was going to spend a bunch of money so that I could then level up. And, like, this was the the day that ended all day. We got evicted, like, a couple days later. Okay. But it, uh, because I lost all my money. And the, and the whole thing fell through, obviously. Sure. Um, so he sh- this, this guy shows up at my house with a... Uh, uh, we're all waiting around for him, right? And he's coming from Arizona. And, and, and he shows up at my house... High as a kite, holding a harpoon gun. Oh. <laughs> he, I open the door and he's just like, hey, and he's holding this harpoon gun and he cocks it. It doesn't actually cock like a shotgun, but he cocks it. And he's like, what's going on? We're ready to fuck shit up. And he comes into the house and uh, and we're getting ready for this big drug deal to happen. And he's and he's uh, he's like on every drug there is. He's high on coke. He's high on meth. He's high on on mushrooms. He's hallucinating. He's freaking out. Um and and I'm like, yo, man, why'd you bring the harpoon gun? He's like, because if anything goes down, this is the best murder weapon you could have. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, dude, you need to kill someone. Use a harpoon gun because you shoot him in the chest. You can pull that thing out and retrieve it. And then by the time they figure out what's going on, I'm in Mexico harpooning fish. And when a detective looks at the, this is this is the words that came out of his mouth. When a detective looks at the. Uh, uh, a harpoon gun wound he can't figure out what it is he'll never know he'll never know and so by the time by the time he figures out it's a harpoon gun this thing's clean as a whistle from harpoon and marlins i'm like okay that sounds pretty that's pretty sound logic wow i was like wow you are a genius okay give me let's let's order a couple more of these harpoon guns so we're sitting in the in the uh in the, my apartment waiting for this whole thing to go down and it was it was gonna go down it was i was gonna i was gonna make it happen and along the way the guy thank god this happened because i stopped dealing drugs after this moment mm-hmm. but um but the guy who was bringing all of the weed to to make this transaction called and was like hey man i got in a car accident i can't make it oh wow i'm not coming and that that really ruined everything Sure. For every, I, like I, I brought a lot of people together who didn't didn't trust me to begin with, and they were like, "Wait a minute, you're this you're this guy isn't coming because he got in a car accident. Like, give me all your money." So I had to go into my my stash. I had to give them all my money, and and the the guy with the harpoon gun was gonna go. Well, he wanted to go next. We, we were dealing with my next door neighbor. This was one of the guys who was like facilitating, and he wanted to go. Uh, he wanted to go kill him with a harpoon gun. He wanted to go use it. 
So we started smoking. Uh, he had some heroin, black tar heroin. We started freebasing the black tar heroin and to calm him down. Yeah. And so the only reason he he was sitting there and he's like, he's sitting there and the harpoon gun's on his lap. And he's like, man, the only reason I'm not going over there to kill him right now is because I'm so high on this heroin. And I was like, holy shit, heroin just saved all of our lives. Wow. Oh, my God. And like that moment, I was like, I got to stop. Yeah. This is nuts. This is fucking nuts, dude. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was pretty gnarly. And then a couple of weeks went by and like the, the, the guys that I would, was dealing with were like threatening the, the neighbor. And it was, it was, uh, you know, for fucking up the deal. And I, um, I had, you know, gotten evicted and I moved, uh, in with this girl that I had gone to, I went to Vegas with this girl, uh, for one night and then we moved in together. Oh yeah. You know, as you do. <laughs> and, and so I'm living with my new girlfriend. I get a phone call and, uh, from, from some guy who's like, yeah, my name's, uh, my name's Tony. I'm calling from the Bellagio hotel. Um, if you don't believe me, hang up the phone, dial this number, ask, ask to be connected here and, uh, blah, blah, blah. Hangs up, hangs up the phone, call the number back. It's like Bellagio hotel. I'm like, uh, can I be connected to room? Well, you know, whatever. And he's like, all right, you believe me now? He's like, you need to stop fucking threatening this guy. I know where the fuck you are. You live on this this street, this uh, apartment in Brooks. You're at this apartment number. You're there with so-and-so. And uh, if I ever see you around this neighborhood again, uh, or if they ever see you around this neighborhood again, you're fucking dead. And I was like, uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> what? This is fucking insane. And that's like where my life went from like I moved out to California in in, uh, in August of 2003. And this was all had all happened and been and it was wrapped up and done by the end of February of 2004. OK, so you, you got in deep quick. And, I got it. Uh, I got in deep quick. Yeah, man. Wow. So so just so you were trying to orchestrate. Like you were selling coke to your weed dealer. I was gonna. Was, I, I was gonna. Not, I, I was gonna start selling. Uh, I was gonna start selling weed to my weed dealer by facilitating a coke deal to the guy who wanted to sell weed to my weed dealer. <laughs> okay. It, it, okay. Does it make any sense to you? Because it so, shouldn't. Yes. Because we Not were really. all high. Yeah. See, that's what I'm. Yeah. Okay. I was trying to. I just wanted to wrap my head around that a little bit. Um, so. So that's an interesting, you know, like when you had that realization that you've got to stop now, like, and the fact that you described, you know, you're dealing with a crazy person with a harpoon gun. I imagine most of the people that you're interacting with are maybe not quite at that level, but you're just dealing with very unstable, crazy people within this world. Right? Oh, yeah. I mean, did yeah, you ever... everyone's very unstable in the drug world. I would as think. you can on, imagine. Yeah. They're on drugs. Um, But... <clears throat> Did you somehow did were you able to retain some sort of I don't know what the word would be to know in that moment that you like you were you weren't so far in it you were able to take a step back or I'm having a hard time describing this question but I've, okay so what you're saying sense. is what what was the moment where I was like holy shit I got to stop yeah and how were you able to have that moment you know in this if you were all fucked up and on drugs and everything else well too? we uh, you know I was like when we got. When that night happened, yeah, I was I was like, oh my god, I've got to I've got to change something in my life. Yeah. I didn't know what, yeah, it was yet, mm -hmm. but I was like, something is going seriously wrong. 
you're looking at a guy threatening to kill somebody with a harpoon gun. And, and I'm like, this is nuts. <laughs> this is not normal. And then I got, uh, you know, maybe like a week later, I got that phone call from that Italian sure. guy. And most likely, I mean, 1000%, he was just some guy in North Hollywood that was just, you know, trying to scare me. Right. And he's not actually a guy at the Bellagio Hotel. Like, sure. who the fuck am I? You know, what is this casino? Like, where are you serious? Like, fuck out of here. You know, we were selling like $5 worth of cocaine. This was not yeah. that big of a deal. Right. Um, but so I had this thought, something's got to change. And then I got that phone call and I'm standing in front of uh, my roommate and I'm like, yo. This is this is crazy. I just got this phone call. This guy wants to fucking he says he's going to kill me. And my roommate looks at me and he goes, Zane, every single decision we've made for the past 90 days has been a cocaine decision. We have to stop. Yeah, we got to stop this. And I was like, you know what? Maybe Maybe let's take a day (laughs) off. (laughs) And so we did. We took one day off and it was like, okay. Let's just not let's not make any decisions on cocaine anymore. And I just stopped. I just stopped doing it on a regular basis. And, you know. Yeah. Fuck. OK. So so you pretty much were done with drugs at that point. No, that, I not? mean, here's the thing. I had all these different uh, these different eras of drugs. Like I was always a, a, a drinker and a, and a weed smoker. Like yeah. I never stopped doing that. Sure. But I just I stopped doing cocaine every day. OK. Well, yeah, that's that's an improvement. Is an improvement. Yes, that is certainly an improvement. Yeah. <laughs> Everyday cocaine use. Moved in with that chick, the the Vegas chick. We we lived together for a few months. That blew up. You know, I uh, went to, moved to uh, Colorado for a couple months to live with my brother, um, who was living out there. We uh, we uh, um, bartended and snowboarded for a winter, and then I moved back to California. Got a. Uh, Moved back to L.A. like six months later in the uh, in the spring of 05. Went back to uh, school, went to theater school, got into the American Academy of Dramatic Arts and uh, and uh, met a Swedish girl there. Um, graduated, got married, got divorced, kept partying, you know, and just uh, yeah, just uh, all kinds of crazy shit happened along the way. And then got, then got married again, got recently divorced a, a year and a half ago. And yeah, it's nuts too. <sighs> wow. <laughs> yeah. I had a bunch of different jobs along the way. I was a, uh, a door to door meat salesman. I uh, sold gym memberships. I was, uh, ever did every single job in the restaurant business that you could do. And by the end of it, like uh, two years ago, I was the, uh, uh, director of operations of, a. uh, like a, a medium sized restaurant group, um, here in LA. And I mean, I haven't done drugs or drank in a long time, but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, dude, it's been, can a, you talk to me about selling life. meat door to door. Yeah, I can talk to you about selling meat door to door. That sounds fast. In 2000. Uh, so Josh Nasser, you're familiar with Josh Nasser. He's a comedian. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, comedian, uh, uh, regular at the comedy store. It's been around a long time. Love this guy. Um, uh, a lot of people have differing uh, opinions about uh, him and his energy, but I absolutely love the man. I uh, He taught me so much, and he's hysterical. But I was in desperate need of a job around, um, I guess this was 2000, January of 2011. I call him. He had said, hey, man, if you want to come help me move some boxes or whatever, um, I can uh, I can give you a job. And so I texted him. I was like, hey, man, you still need help moving some boxes? And he calls me. He's like, sales jobs start tomorrow. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, he's like, Zane, 
trust me. You'll be great at this. He's like, he's like, he's like, give me, give me one week to train you. And I swear to God, you're going to love it. And in that moment, I was like, ah, fine. Yeah. You know, I needed the yeah, money. Needed I was like, whatever. Sure. Are you going to pay me 50 bucks tomorrow for helping you? He's like, absolutely. I'm like, I'm there. Yeah. So I don't know if you're aware of this, but, uh, but there's an entire frozen meat industry. What's the company with the the truck that this Omaha Steaks? Maybe? Right, so Omaha Steaks is like the Coca Cola of meat sales. Okay, right, you order them online. Your grandparents try to get it get it for you for yes. Christmas. Yes. The steaks sit in your freezer for two years. Yes, you throw them away. You've never eaten an Omaha steak, no, I but you've seen them, you've touched <laughs> yeah. them, you've smelled them, you've heard about them. Yes. Um, so. Other than Omaha Steaks, there's a bunch of little local outfits in every little state oh. where you can go. You can go to if you have a a, a wholesale uh, dealer's little license, mm-hmm. you can go down to the docks in Long Beach and pick up cases of meat wholesale. Okay. 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 And, and inside a case of meat, you'll yeah. open up a case, and inside the case, there's going to be uh, a box of uh, four New York strips, a couple ribeyes, a couple. Uh, fillets angus fillets some burgers and some other bullshit some other some other tenderloin strips and you can get steak you can get chicken you can get pork you can get seafood lobster tails shrimps anything you want anything anything you want (laughs) as long as you like your meat grade d and as long as you like to have 15 to (laughs) as long as you like to have 15 to 20 percent water solution injected into those meats and you like those meats frozen as fuck, <laughs> you can get them, right? So people go, like companies, buy these boxes and they hire salesmen to put those boxes of meat in freezers in the oh. back of pickup trucks. And then those salesmen, sometimes uh, really high salesmen, sure, go out and knock on doors and go, hey, sorry to bother you. I'm wholesaling out steak, seafood, and chicken. I'm going to show you what I got. And then you go. It's like you've done this before. Oh, uh, Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's uh, hi. Sorry to bother. You. Wholesale, I, I wholesale out steak, seafood, and chicken. I'm going to show you what I got. And then you run, and then this is the pitch. So like, I, I go out with Josh Nasser, who is my one of the greatest people I know. It's incredible. And to tell you the truth, the the uh, the meat's not that bad. You sure. know, it's yeah. it's whatever. It's not the it's best meat, meat in the world. It's yeah. frozen meat. Yeah. It's edible. I liked it. I used to. We used to do the go to this open mic. Back in the day, and I would bring all my extra meat over. We'd barbecue. Everyone had a great time. Um, as long as you're, um, as long as you're um, not super picky, it's freaking great food. Sure. Um, it did set. It is the burgers are known to set a grill on fire time oh. or two because they're so greasy, <laughs> but it's edible. I swear to God. A side note: I had that experience with Flanders patties, and that is my last name. They sell them at Walmart. At Flanders. So like, yeah. And I was like, well, I have to buy these because it's my last name. And it was one of those like twenty four patties for five dollars things, and Dope. they they literally just caught it on fire on the stove yeah. top just right away. And I was actually stoned out of my mind in college, and my roommate came in, and there was just smoke <laughs> everywhere, and I was just <laughs> laughing hysterically. Uh, anyway, so yeah, I, I get the. Uh, so you're familiar with the type of meat we're dealing yes, with? Yes, it's uh, it, it's the Flanders of <laughs> of wholesale meats out there. <laughs> so I go out with. Uh, I go to the the shop, we pack up a little truck, I go out with Josh, and I've never seen anyone sell so beautifully before. (laughs) This man, it's like 
watching Neo when he finally realizes he's the one right. in the Matrix. It's just <laughs> like he's doing slow motion karate and just absolutely destroying the agent. But in this verbal way, right? right. He's got the the pitch laid down. It's you know, it's so um it's 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 hilarious because it's it works you know you 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 um say hey i'm uh, wholesaling out steak seafood and chicken i'm gonna show you what i got and then you run away (laughs) come on (laughs) first first move of the pitch is run away and you run and you go grab the meat from the truck and you run it back as fast as possible and you got all this you got three boxes stacked up and it and it's really heavy and you can barely hold it and you're like hey man as soon as it defrosts i can't refreeze it which is true. Yeah. If I if this shit defrosts, I can't refuse it, so I'm selling it out today. Three dollars mm-hmm. a steak, and you probably can get it for less. And so you, they go, "What? Okay." And you show them all these meats. You got you got dozens of, of meats in front of them, laid out in their in their fucking garage, and and you kind of you kind of put it in a semicircle so it kind of corners them so they can't really get away. And you go, "How much do you pay for a steak?" I let me like yeah. Matt like even like you go to the store. What do you what do you like to pay uh, for a steak? Maybe like twelve bucks. Okay, twelve bucks. Yeah, that's and that's like a good deal for yeah. you, right? Yeah. Okay, so for twelve dollars at the price you're paying with ten to twelve steaks in each one of these boxes, six boxes in a pack, you're paying somewhere around six eight hundred bucks for one of these cases of steaks right. at twelve dollars a steak, right? So now I have, I have uh, ten of these cases, right? Now let me ask you a question. Yeah. Ten of these cases, they're gonna that would cost you if one's gonna cost you six to eight hundred. Ten would cost you what six to eight thousand dollars. Yes, right. At twelve dollars a stake. Mm-hmm. So let me tell you, uh, this is we're talking about obviously hundreds of pieces of stakes. It looks very overwhelming, and it's like now, uh, what do you pay? Um, what do you pay a week in groceries? Oh, about 65, 70 bucks. Okay, 65, 70 bucks. Yeah. All right. So at your price, six to eight thousand bucks, I'm gonna only charge you like 20 weeks worth of your groceries. Oh. Right. Yeah. So now I'm gonna give you I'm gonna how long how long would all would one of these cases last you? It's like fifty steaks. <laughs> right? <A> one <laughs> Right. Right. I, I mean, even if you eat meat three, four days a week, this shit's gonna last you over a month. You're gonna this is gonna take a long time for you to get through that. So I'm I show you, I'm like, I've got 10 of these cases, and you would normally pay eight thousand dollars for all this meat. I'm gonna sell it to you for twenty five hundred bucks. And I'm you're like, I've got no place to store it. It's like I'm gonna give you the freezer on the back of my truck. It's worth a thousand. So basically, you're paying fifteen hundred bucks. So for 10 weeks worth of your groceries. Two and a half months, I'm going to feed you for the next five years. <laughs> and so you're doing this pitch, and obviously, oh, that's ridiculous. Yes. <laughs> that is a ridiculous thing. What This steak right here, I'm going to eat this steak that I see on my floor five years from now? You're out of your fucking mind. But it's like, look, man, for 10 weeks worth of your groceries, even if you have a family of four, right. you're like, I don't know, we steak a couple times a week, and we spend like $300 a week on groceries. Okay, so for, I don't know, two months worth of your groceries, I'm going to feed you for a year. Yeah. Like, wake, Ooh. wake up. Yeah. Hello. Deal of a lifetime. Deal of a lifetime. <laughs> you know, so I'm watching him do this pitch and he does it so fast, so beautifully. And the woman's like, look, I, you got me, but I'm not spending $3,000 right now. Yeah. So you're like, all right, fine. You know what? Uh, just she, and she's like, she's like, I spent, a, you know, 300 bucks on groceries. And so you, you ask her if she wants like 10 or six or five cases or whatever. And then fine. He's like, look, 
as soon as this stuff defrosts, I can't refreeze it. It's going. So like you buy one, buy one of these cases. I'm going to give you the, the, all of the chicken and all of the seafood for free. And, and she looks at him and goes like, okay. Yeah. And I was with him for, I don't know, 15 minutes. And he was, he, he, the first person he talked to, she, this woman was pulling out of her driveway. Mm-hmm. He, he knocks on her window and he's like, Hey, you know, he's being <laughs> goofy. He like does a little dance. He's like, Hey, <laughs> and within uh, 10 minutes he sold her, um, like six or $700 worth of food. Wow. You know, and it's, I mean, the, the thing is that he was good in, on his word. If I, I watched him, if, if anyone ever, uh, wanted to exchange something or, um, or whatever, yeah. uh, or they wanted to swap something out, or they didn't like it, or 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 anything like that. Um, you know, he gave them his personal cell phone number. He'd go swap it out for him. But he like he fills this woman's uh, freezer, and um, and you know gets paid. You go to the bank, he gets wow. paid. He gives me my fifty bucks, and we so we worked for like a couple hours. He sold everything in the truck. Wow. So like he's maybe talked to to twenty people. He yeah. sold five of them, and uh, and emptied out everything in his truck. And was like, see, easy as pie. <laughs> yeah. Easy as pie. Yeah. And so I, I followed him around for a week and like learned the pitch and I just repeated it over and over again. And I went out and I started selling. Oh my God, it was the easiest money I'd ever made. Wow. It was incredible. Yeah. I mean, the first nine months I would go out, I'd work. I was making like $1,500 a week cash working 15 hours a week. Wow. I would go out and just like, I, I would be driving through Pasadena and there would be a couple moms uh, I just got to the point where I was just like, didn't give a fuck. There'd be a couple of moms playing with their kids in the front lawn. I'd be dr- speeding through a neighborhood in Pasadena. <laughs> I'd slam on my brakes and it's like, and I'd hop out of my truck and be, and I, you know, I was I'm much younger at the time. I had no mustache. I looked very young and, uh, and unassuming. And I yeah. was, I would dress like a, like a tennis player. I'd wear mm-hmm. checkered shorts and had a little tennis hat. I tuck my shirt in, wear a polo and, um, you know, look as handsome as possible. And, these ladies be like, "Hey, what are you doing?" I'm like, "Ladies, I'm here to cook you lunch." <laughs> ooh, yeah, ooh, and I would. I they'd be like, "What are you talking about?" I'd go, I'd go grab uh, some steaks out and be like, "What do you like, steak? You want, you want some lobsters for lunch?" They're like, "What is this?" And, and I'd be like, "I'm here to cook for you." And it's like I, I remember this. Uh, I did this a number of times, but I, I remember I, I, uh, uh, I go to the back of this, uh, this lady's house. I open up her grill, and she's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "I'm cooking for you." No yeah. big deal. Patting the kids on the head. I cook them all lunch. And then she's like, and then I'm giving them the pitch along the way. Sell them hundreds of dollars for the food. And go back like three times a year. And they're like, oh, Zane's here. Hey, you know, big party. It's nuts. I, there, there was like six times that I, I would, and I never believed that it was going to happen. Yeah. But I'd be like, all right, how much do you spend a, a week on your grocery bill? They'd be like, I don't know, two, three hundred bucks. I'm like, okay, so for 10 weeks worth the groceries, I'm going to feed you for the next year. They'd be like, okay. You're gonna give me the freezer? Let's do it. Yeah. I'd be like, yeah. wait, what? What? Huh? This is working. This is working. Then <laughs> I'm fucking kicking a, a full chest freezer off the back of a pickup truck and plugging it into the their uh, wall socket in their backyard and then leaving. <laughs> My buddy, I had his buddy Leland, dude. He bought thousands of dollars worth of meat. He just couldn't get enough of it. He'd throw parties. <laughs> I gave him two different freezers. I on his birthday, I went to Ralph's. I, he was such a great customer. I went to Ralph's. I bought him uh uh uh, main lobsters. Just, I just bought him. He's like, I was like, you like lobsters? He's like, I love them. I brought four lobsters over for his birthday. Yeah. He didn't give a shit. You know, I swapped different freezers out for him and like, you know, it was, it was nuts. But then, so that was like, that was the fun part. Yeah. You know, but then the other part is that you're a door to door salesman. Right. So, 
um, some weeks I'd be, I'd work 10 hours. Some weeks I'd work 40. Um, you know, a year into it, I got, it, it started to really wear on me. Mm -hmm. Like, and I, I just, just getting up and and doing the sales was just tougher and tougher. And because there would be that you would receive so much hate, dude, and you'd be chased by the cops because you're doing it illegally. Well, I was going to ask. Yeah. yeah like, you mean, you don't have a, uh, I like I, one of my, uh, the, the guy I would ride in my truck with in Pasadena got, uh, taken to jail one day. He had like a, an old warrant for, sure. for his arrest yeah. off like, uh, uh, speeding ticket or a weed ticket or something from like four years prior. We got pulled over for soliciting. I got a ticket. He got taken to jail. Wow. Yeah, it was nuts. Okay. I got a couple guns pulled on me. Yeah, dude. Straight up. I got the old like the old shotgun through the the people like Ventura, you know, like, yeah, yeah. like who's asking, you know? Yes, Satan. Yeah. Right, <laughs> oh, no, that's, the, that's not the reference that when you know, oh, when he, I know what you're talking about. When uh, Finkel. Pulled, yeah, with the Finkel's dad. Yeah, yeah. He's like, how do you know Ray Finkel? <laughs> like, I'm looking for Ray Finkel and a clean pair of shorts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, straight up in some uh, some old guy in North Hollywood. I was just knocking on his door, yeah. and all of a sudden, I, I get the shotgun through the peephole, and I'm like, <laughs> Jesus, I'm just I'm just a salesman. <laughs> Uh, one time in Pasadena, I was knocking on the door, and it was kind of like it was dusk. Yeah, and uh, and. Uh, around from the side of the guy's house, this guy comes out with a pistol in his hand. Like the homeowner comes around and is yeah. like, what are you looking for? I'm like, uh, I'm looking for someone to buy these meats. Right. Yeah. They are they are going. You're looking around yeah, like, we're, some... in the, we're in the suburbs here. We're not like uh, in the Wild West. Yeah, dude. Got some... chased by some dogs, got cursed at a bunch. Um, well, and that that's really where it gets taxing because I've, I've done those jobs before too um, where you have to really be on you know, and you're oh, like, you got to be on. Mode. And yeah. it, it kind of kills you because the high and, you know, like you have to be pretending and on and high energy. And then I don't know, for me, at least it was just the up and down of my day was just so like exhausting. It is. It's very mentally exhausting. Yeah. It's like you just got to be on. Yeah, you got to be you got to be really getting after it yeah. like, uh, all day. Yeah. And um, and yeah, that starts to get that starts to get fucking taxing dude i people just admit and uh, perhaps some listeners have bought i just I, i've had a couple times where over the just over the years where somebody's knocked on my door trying to sell me meat and the idea is so ludicrous to me and maybe it's because i don't have a family or anything mm -hmm. you know but i'm just like i i'm not gonna buy meat out of somebody's car i it just seems so ridiculous but i mean it's really a testament to being a good salesman i guess and so i don't know it's just so funny i don't know I don't well know. you know the the funny thing is is people will buy anything well, yeah. You, so. you talk, you, you ask enough people, someone's going to say yes. Yeah. And if you're friendly and nice, it's it doesn't matter what you're selling. They're buying you. They're buying an experience with you. And I could have been selling, I don't know, waffles. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. And it wouldn't have mattered. Yeah. You know, they just were like, oh, hey, Zane's here. What right. do you got? You know? Okay. So during all this time, are you also doing stand up? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. I was doing. Yeah, I, I started doing stand up in uh, in July of two thousand and eight, okay. and I um I never really stopped. I just when I quit doing drugs, like uh, there it had just it became this slow decline, and I went from doing it seven days a week right. to there was just like a a couple years there where it had become uh, much more of a like a secondary priority in my life. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I've, I've always been doing stand up. Right. Okay. Um, 
So then how did the, the meat sale gig end? Were you just fed up with it or? Yeah, I was just fed up. Yeah. You know, yeah, it was the summer of 2012 and it was hot and I was, <laughs> I was like, this sucks, man. <laughs> like I, I, you know, when I first got the job, I was very just enthusiastic about it. Mm. And, um, and, you know, just, I guess 18 months later, it was, it, it had lost its allure sure you know and i felt like i had um i had burnt up all of the uh areas you know right. i had knocked on all the i literally from west hills to burbank to pasadena i knocked yeah. on every single door there is <laughs> like i'll i'll drive through a suburban neighborhood now and get the chills like oh, it's fucking yeah. meat streets yeah. you know like Everything well, it makes sense because like if you are selling meat, you know, if you sell them a year's worth of meat, they're not going to need anything for a while, right? I mean, right, yeah, <laughs> and you know, it's like at some point, at some point, it just it became a job, sure. you know. And yeah. you're running, you know, right. if you're really doing it, you're you you're not walking to each door, you're running, right? Yeah, you know. So I was yeah. just like, I was just over it. Well, as we're kind of wrapping up, I'm I'm sort of curious, and I um I don't know that there's an answer to this, but I just want to go back to that moment. Um, with the harpoon guy and you realizing that you needed to get out. What is it? Why do you think that that was your reaction as opposed to other people who may have been in that room who didn't see any absurdity in the situation um, and maybe just kept going down that line, you know, that way of life? You know, why do you think you were able to be aware enough to know that, like, you've got to get out of this? I guess inherently I've always known what the um what the right thing to do is mm -hmm. and and deep down I always knew that selling drugs was a stupid idea yeah. and quote unquote easy way out you know when I, I I'm always looking to I'm always looking to find a shortcut right and um Instead of uh, instead of having a real job, mm -hmm. I thought selling drugs would be easier. Yeah, but in my heart of hearts, I knew that if I was ever going to be a successful man, that I would need to take responsibility for myself mm -hmm. and um, and grow up. Yeah, you know, and so I knew that going into it, mm -hmm. and and um along the way as i got older i mean i was 19 when i was when this was going on sure you know this was 15 years ago yeah. but along the way um i had these moments of clarity that was just like all right man now's the time you got to stop and you got to move on or you're or you're never gonna be able to achieve the things you want to achieve right yeah that voice in your head that yeah just tell, yeah i had this yeah. little voice and everyone's got that little voice in their head yeah that little intuition mm -hmm. that a lot of times i and i'm work this is the thing i'm working on today is I, I try to listen to my gut yeah a lot of times i will completely disregard my gut and walk in the other direction and do a bunch of shit that causes me a lot of pain right <laughs> but yeah you know, so i guess that's the answer to that question sure. is that like i just i had a moment of clarity and i listened to my my uh my inner self well, and I guess in that way, you know, you're just lucky you have like, you know, a good enough head on your shoulders and we're, and we're able to have that moment before it was too late. You know? Oh, God. Thank God. I mean, yeah. And yeah. So and then the fact that what you're doing now, I mean, it's I just I've never heard anything like it. Um, uh, 
And so, so now when you do these tours, like, <clears throat> is it you and several other comedians? Or? Um, well, I bring an, uh, I bring, uh, a host and a and an opener, mm-hmm. you know, depending on um, depending on because it's expensive to travel, yeah. you know. So depending on um, how m- big the budget is mm-hmm. each time, uh, I'll bring a host or an opener, and we'll either drive or fly or whatever. But right. I, I I do an hour. And is most of your material drug related for this audience? Or no, no, not. It's just the the message is that you can go through fucked up shit mm. and. One, laugh at it. Yeah. Two, live through it. And it can be something that turns your life in. uh, All of the dark things in your life can become positives, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, I mean, I don't go out there trying to pander that message to the people, um, but I do a little bit of drug material, a little bit of relationship material, some dark stuff um, about my divorce, and then um, some uplifting family shit. And that's the act. Yeah. You know, just just in and out. Sure. And, um, and it's it the people people seem to vibe yeah you know so it's working that's all you can ask for well uh thanks so much for coming on and talking about all this dude thanks for having me yeah this was a lot of fun oh yeah all right thanks man that was the episode i hope you enjoyed it i really did um pretty much as soon as we wrapped up i told him i'd really like to to help out in some way with the, the stuff that he's doing and uh uh, we've met a couple times since our conversation, and, and I hope that something good comes of it. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, give us that five stars. You can do it. I know. I have faith in you. You can do it. All right. I'm going to go take a nap because I still have all the drugs in me. They knock you out for that procedure. That's why I'm still a little loopy. So uh, dopamine, I think, could have been that. I don't know. Strong. Strong stuff. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the episode, and until next Wednesday, keep laughing!